Now, between 1950-1999, there were Pacifica people who were abused when in the care of the state or faith-based institutions. Now, in response, the Royal Commission of Inquiry, Abuse, and Care was established to investigate this abuse. Now, abuse that took place in foster care, police custody, schools or special schools, disability care, all facilities, youth justice, placement, or at a health camp. Among those in care was Fete Taito, a Samoan boy who grew up in institutionalized, um, institutional, sorry, but willing to share his ordeal for others to learn from. Fete joins us now on Pacific Breakfast to share his journey. Fafte for joining us this morning in Talofalabalosua. Brother, let's just get into it. I mean, you know, our people are always wondering when we see one another, it's like, oh, I wonder where he's from. Uh, for the sake of our audience, if you can share a little bit about yourself, please. Yeah, okay. Um, so, I'm from Samoa. Originally, my parents are both from Samoa. Faleheli, uh, Kafa, from my father's side, and my mother's Faleutai. Um, I, myself, uh, was born in Auckland, and I won't say the year, but... Uh, <laughs> 21 plus, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's a big period. Yeah, however, um, yeah, so I was brought up in... Possibly Greylin area, central most of my uh, young life, and um, went to local schools there, Richmond Road Primary, Marison, uh went to intermediate Maris, um, Vermont Street Brothers, and um, yeah, managed a little bit of high school before things started to untangle mm. <laughs> a little bit there. So yeah, that's my during my background. Um, um, yeah, basically, it's my now, for many of our Pacific people, you know, especially back in the 50s, you know, right up until the 90s, the word state care would have been a foreign concept to them, especially the parents who came from the islands. Um, now, you were taken into care at a young age. I mean, tell us, tell us about that environment and how everything else unfolded. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, yeah, the, the concept of uh, state care is, is would be very different and unique and and foreign to our people back in that era. Um, I guess for me, I, I'm not... Yeah, I guess going to state care was uh, uh, a number of, of incidents that happened a long way around home. Um, I just want to first um, say that my parents and a, lot, and, a, and a lot of our parents back in that era who... Or I consider the first generation of our Samoans coming here. Um, yeah, it was pretty much difficult for them to to try and navigate their way through our urban li- living in the in the village life. Most of their lives being brought up that way, and then arriving here in this country into an urban life, which is a little bit strange for them and very different. And so, yeah, that come that that came with a lot of pressures, I guess, and stresses. For my parents, especially working, money, seeing back to our families, and I guess for me, um, uh, my parents um, try to give me the right direction and the right way of, of giving me an education and those sort of things. But things never really turned out that way. And I'm not going to get right into what happened, but you know, um, as a result of, uh, I guess my 
I would say, the over-discipline of my father's uh, hand. Um, I started running away from home, getting up to mischief, and started getting in trouble. And then it came, of course, you come into the eyes of the law along the way there, and running away from home, and staying on the streets of Auckland. Um, yeah, um, you get picked up by... They had this organisation at the time called the J-Team, which is... Um, was a, I think it stood for the juvenile delinquent team, and they used to travel around in Auckland looking out for, um, looking out for all these trickers and runaways. And they consisted of youth workers, uh, social workers, even the churches in there, and the police. And they'd run around in the van and try to grab all the truants. And yeah, and so I came into there. I saw it quite a few times and. Yeah, and as a result, ended up in children, what they called at the time children's boards, which you appeared in front of. There were social workers, uh, judges, uh, I guess all the people that thought that they could, um, you know, listen to your problems, see what your problems are, mm. take care of you, and there is and their and their answer was to stick me to uh, boys' homes in the Oaraka boys' home, so. Um, I was made a ward of the state at the age of 14, and um, from there it was pretty much um, foster homes and boys' homes, and yeah, moving from one to the other, and yeah, that's how. Wow. Yeah, have to take care. I mean, look, uh, first of all, Fatir, I just want to say thank you very much for coming on there, you know, especially our diaspora. Pacific background is it, these aren't things these are the stuff we you know dust under the carpet you know hearing um, someone that's been through the system because you know with us um, it's not just the pressure of looking after our own selves first and foremost there's always that pressure of family and who you're representing but it's also because of family that this needs to happen and you know hearing your story you must have had to tell us the process that you went through just to get to where you are today because a lot of the memories i would imagine you know it caused you to go into different scenes in your life and a lot of suppression too because just imagining and hearing what you had to go through i mean uh, how how was that process for you uh, the, yeah. the cleansing let's just say to you. yeah i guess for me um we're talking now in the uh, middle of the 70s and um Lots of things were happening for our people, I guess, in, in that era. Um, I I was running around the streets, and there's a few Māori, yeah, a few Māori kids in Cook Island, a lot of Cook Islands, we had a lot of Cook Island street kid mates, and um, yeah, I was pretty much the only Samoan. <laughs> yeah, I think I was the only one Samoan, but we used to we used to be little mischiefs and run around the city, and um, and I guess for me when when I get when I went to the boys' home, that was a really different um, outlook for me. I, um, I got put into Secure the first time, and uh, first time I went there, and yeah, it was pretty daunting for me. I, and, and I guess for me, the, when I reflect back on it, the worst thing as a, as a kid, you know, at that age, was not exactly knowing what was going on, you know. And I, yeah, I remember all the you're now made a ward of the state under section, whatever, whatever, and I just, you know, all that was blurred as I saw my parents walking out of the courthouse and I was like, Where, where's mum going? What's she doing? Where, why aren't I going with her? Mm-hmm. And then they just sticking you into a, a social worker goes, come this way, and, you know, you get taken away. And 
and you know as you're driving away you ask him oh where am I going <laughs> there you go and of course at that time that she was kids that uh, you don't need to know, you know yeah so that was, uh, well, most was pretty most much day, yeah uh, he just pretty much he shut up <laughs> and you go into like a boy zone looking you know. at the inquiry um, what what encouraged you um, you know yeah I mean you know it's like I said you know these sort of environments we know a lot of brothers that go through the systems and then would end up you know joining um, gangs or different sort of groups because that's what they would find an identity and a bit of security so how did you go from that to saying you know I'm going to join this inquiry I'm going to make sure that whoever had similar experience to me or whoever is coming that's about to enter counter this, I'm going to speak out and use my story as, as a platform. How did you arrive to that point? Yeah, it, was, it, it wasn't It was easy. It was it was a little bit hard. I, I'd, I'd done a little bit of work as a contractor for the Royal Commission Inquiry last year um, to help uh, promote and engage us. I, I got I was reached out to, to by um, a little more more Sanja Lofivai. She reached out uh, through various networks to try and contact me and ask me if I wanted to yeah, give my story and talk about it. I, I was reluctant at first. I, I just thought, ah, no, why was I going to do? But as I grew into it and understood the uh, Royal Commission of Inquiry more and more, I felt, oh, well, you know, um, maybe this is a, yeah, maybe this is a genuine inquiry because I, I remember the, from the Māori point of view, the the Bwatu report, and nothing was done about that. So, you know, there's quite negative connotations around things like the inquiries and we're going to do this report, and you wonder, yeah, how much of it is going to be implemented? You know, is it really, really going to happen? But um, I applied for a position um, earlier this year for for the uh, Royal Commission Inquiry, and the only reason I applied really is because I believe in it, you know, and uh, I believe that, Within our Pacific Island um, investigation team, if you like it, or yeah, like we we have grown to. A, I, I'm confident that our voices and our story will be told in a way that we want it told. And mm-hmm. in, in there's in this report and the recommendations that will flow from that will be. Um, I, I believe will be will be listened to. Now, um, going off that, what would you? What would be your desired outcome? What would you like to see? As in, you know, what would um, from this report and and what the state will need to take into consideration of everything that you you are helping Ali Momo and Tanya Shaki in terms of and the Pacific Investigation Team. Yeah, um, it's a little, it's early it's early stage at, at this stage um, about how or, or what the report will look like or what the recommendations, especially from a Pacific Island voice, is going to look like, and that's why we're encouraging a lot of our people to come forward because without those voices. It's a really difficult process to try and put together how how the effects of that on our people were, and and you know we're talking about the 50s to the 90s and and beyond, and we have the discretion to look at our at abuse and care now and and today, but I think for us the reason why we're encouraging a lot of our historical. Um, um, People with you know who have experienced historical abuse within those uh, institutions, state or faith-based, is that we need our voices heard so we can understand and really, really make changes about um, how they, how the state and the faith base will never 
moving forward, how they should care for our people much more better than they have in mm. the past. Yeah. You know, and, and you just, uh, sorry, right? sure. you just added on to one of my questions was, um, you know, encouraging those of our communities that have been abusing care who are having a mistrust of all of this happening because some of them are either, you know, shame of family, community, or have been through some form of inquiries in the past and saw nothing else yeah. uh, come out of it. So thank you for sharing on that. Now, for me, I want to ask this, and, and, and it's up to you whether you want to or not, but there would have been a significant moment in your life where you decided to change the switch. Yeah. Which, tell, tell me, what was it for you? Um, I had been in that, that world and that life for a good part of 38 years. So, as you can imagine, you know, I've done quite a lot of years in jail. And so, you know, I, I was in gangs and I was in the gang and in jail. And I think... Um, for me, the change is not simple. It, it, it was it was a difficult transformation. But in 2010, I was I had been a pee addict by then by 10, 14 years, and so um, changes had to happen because my family and I could feel my my kids were sort of moving in the wrong direction. And so for me, um, and and I was, you know grandchildren were starting to appear, and I guess for me and especially my um, my lovely partner Viv for the last 30 years she's been stayed by my side and we decided to make changes and you know it was really difficult for me to change that mindset because you know when you live in that world and the comfort of that world and it's an environment you know and you know and I guess it's for like you guys you understand your mainstream world and you live and you wake up in the morning that, that was my world I just wake up and you know just get up to my mischief, you know, that's how I lived my life and, and to make that change came in 2010 and a lot of things happened in leading up to that but this, but the bottom line was that um, changes had to be made and um, after over, 30, over 35 years, 38 years in that life I just made the decision to get off the P and start trying to make something of my life as yeah, so when I finally done it, it took me 10 months to come off that P, you know, me and my partner, and my partner stood by my side, and we just, we did it ourselves, really, and and we had to, I, you know, I, I knew I had to, you know, it was, uh, it was really ruining me and my family, you know, and I disconnected me even further from my kids, and so, yeah, so made those changes, and, and then... Yeah, and I went and looked after my sister at the same time. That helped me to get away from that environment. I thought I'll, I'll stay and look after my sister. She had, and, and I connected up with, you know, reconnected with all my sisters. I mean, I would say reconnected. I mean, I I got back with them in a everyday life sort of way, and I looked after my sister till she passed away in 2014, my first sister. And um, yeah, so for me in 2010, when I come off it, 2011, my my partner said to me, "You've been doing something with your time because I know what's going to happen. Mm. You got too much free time now." Something something yeah, else. yeah. So she suggested <laughs> I went to university, wow. and I said, uh, "Huh, university? <laughs> I didn't even finish high school. The hell!" 
And you know, uh, you know, you, now you hold a bachelor of arts, you know, majoring in sociology and you know, some Maori studies. That's awesome, you know. Yeah. What a testimony to to everything that have happened to you, to finally get it all back, and you know, it's, it's yeah, yeah. I guess for me, um, that that experience at university really sort of uh, um, reshaped my thinking and especially sociology. I mean, Māori has always been part, I've always been strong in the in terms of supporting Māori kaupapa. Mm. Way back, I, you know, I connected with the Panthers back in the 70s. I, so I grew up within the Panthers, you know, in my younger teenage age. And um, I, um, so my whole politics in my mind was, I, I had gone, I had a little bit of, Politics behind me, even though I ended up in the in the King Cobra Gang for twelve years, I still had politics, you know, grounded in politics. I, I understood politics, and um, and especially how it affected our people, really. And um, and I went to jail for the AU1 Springbok tour, so you know these are the things that I guess you know at all. But you know, going to university, I think helped to reshape who I am today and helped me. And especially my mentor through my university degree was uh, Professor Tracy McIntosh. She was, um, yeah, a big part of my uh, of my um, of my degree and helping me to get extensions. <laughs> Thanks, Tracy. <laughs> she, I would go to her and say, "Oh man, I won't be hired." You go, "Those stress right. badges coming to her." She said, Leave it to me. I'll I'll email the lecture and ask for an extension for you. I said thanks. And, you know, I, you know, I just didn't even understand this academic stuff. You know, it was just like, well, I thought there was a good essay. You know, academic writing's a little bit different than prison we, writing. Pacific, yeah, yeah. Pacific people, we specialise in in creative writing. Yeah. Uh, look, if you've just tuned in, we are currently in conversation and hearing the amazing journey of Fete Taito, who went through um, state care and is part of the Royal Inquiry for Abuse and Care as part of the Pacific Investigation Team. And we'd like to give a big shout-out to Ali Moore and also our sister Tanya Shaki. She's always updating us. And, you know, and the reason why we dug so much into this is because... Uh, we, we saw the challenge of our people when they first migrated over. And I mean, you go from a village where you don't really need to teach your child because when you come home, well, there's uncle's house here, grandma, you know. Yeah, come, exactly. And then you transport them, poof, into the middle of... Um, urban area. Urban life. Yeah, Never ever yeah. experienced it before. You can't go next door and borrow sugar. Um, the yeah. family's got a dog, don't speak English. Your English is as good as their French. Yeah, and all exactly. of these things kind of amalgamated into the experiences that our community had. But I want to ask you, because I know, we, I can keep this going on forever, but I know you've got things to do, and we're going to move on and pay the bills. Are you a proud papa? If if I we were to ask your grandkids, what would they say about you yeah, know Papa Fetish? Yeah, yeah no, no, I think they'd say, uh, yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit of a softy because I just buy them anything. <laughs> <laughs> the discipline, uh, it's the parents' job. That's not my job. Oh, <laughs> brother. No. Yeah, oh, I wanted right, right. to ask, please, Fiki, uh, in terms of, you know, the healing process for you, how much did, you know, your cultural identity come in into play in in that process for you? Yeah, interesting enough, I, uh, I, yeah, that's one of the, I guess, one of the abuses I, I, I would play on the state. They disconnected me from my family 
and my Fasamo, and you know, and I for a long time was angry with the Fasamo. Eh? I never, and I guess that's what the King Cobras gave me when I when I joined up with them was they reconnected me back with their Samoan side. But you know, and um, and that's yeah, I'll always be thankful for that for the club for for doing that. Um, and so moving about that, I I couldn't speak Samoan. You know, I haven't got really good Samoan. You know, and so. Going along that journey, there's not a lot of culture involved in that life, you know, the gang, criminal life, and all that stuff. And um, so you never get a chance to try and practice it. Only when your your sisters you've been trying to get hold of you for fun, love and love you for days and days, <laughs> you finally get them. Say, What's up? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, okay, I'll drop somebody off, whatever. <laughs> you know, and 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 you know all that sort of stuff. I just. It just I just ignored it because it wasn't it, it didn't form a part of of who I was. So, but the Royal Commission I have to say has really given me it has even enhanced my you know my being a Samoan because of all the Pacific Islands they were connected with, especially my two colleagues, uh, uh, Fonoti, Pati, Omanga, and Tofa. Yeah, it's a it's a real encouragement from them. And so my Samoan is starting to pick up a lot, and also my um. My colleague or my friend and sister, Sailow, uh, Thomas Sailow, in the university, she's. I do a few things with her. I mean, she, it's like that mafia movie. You leave the university, but she's always dragging <laughs> me back in <laughs> to do something. <laughs> and so she's always. Um, she's really helped me with my Samoa too. So, yeah, I, I I really feel strongly connected. I've been back to Samoa a few times now. Mm. to reconnect with the families and yeah and, and, and it's been good for me it's been mm. good for me I resisted it and I had this barrier up against being a Samoan Sam, I, I, I love being so I've never ever never said I wasn't a Samoan even in jail uh, in 1982 in jail out of 400 odd inmates there was only like 14 Pacific Islanders there was only like 6 Samoans so you know I never ever ignored who I was or you know tried to say I'm not a Samoan you know I'm proud to be a Samoan but you know, today it's in my heart, and, and I'm and I love it. Yeah. Well, we wish you well on that journey, also, because uh, it sounds like there's so much more discovery ahead of you, and with the Mokos uh, always taking your heart and putting it into their little hands. Uh, and uh, thank you again for stopping by this morning, and we hope to speak to you again, Fiti. No worries. Okay.